Welcome aboard the Fourth Watch, which is a series of podcasts sponsored by the good people at Farrah Mormon, of which I, Ned Scarsbrick, your host, am a volunteer. And today's episode is, as I have promised in the past, number 13. And as always, the opinions and views expressed in these podcasts may not represent, reflect, or even remotely resemble those of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or that of Fair Mormon. However, they might, so I strongly suggest you continue to listen and uh, see if they're good for you. So opening up today, we have a, a special guest. Now, I know in the past we haven't had guests, and I haven't interviewed people on this podcast, but this is a, a special occasion because we got a guest here by the name of Nick Galetti, who lives in the Salt Lake Quarter, and uh, he's done several uh, podcasts of his own as an audio engineer kind of guy, and so we'd like to uh, welcome him aboard. Hello. Welcome. Yeah, there we go. I have a little diction problem there. I can't get the words out just right. <laughs> it's all right. You've never had that problem, have you? Uh, not on air. <laughs> there we go. Good. Well, uh, I tell you what, why don't you tell our listeners a little about uh, you and what you do? Well, I am a sound engineer, as you mentioned, by trade, um, but uh, of note for listeners of podcasts, I, I am the producer and host of the Good Word podcast, where we feature interviews with LDS authors and writers, whether they be fiction writers, even romance writers, doctrine writers, history, or even some screenplay writers we've had on the show. And so we get to learn about these people's lives and about the works that they put out there and hopefully encourage people to check out what they do and, and enjoy on a better level the books that are being put out and, and the works that are being put out by these fabulous LDS writers. Well, it's interesting. How long have you been doing that? I started it, let's see, it's been a little over a year now, so probably a year and a couple months. Good. Good. What about this uh, Mormon History Guy show thing? Yeah. Well, Mormon History Guy is uh, a podcast hosted by Russell Stevenson, who is the Mormon History Guy. And I record the show for him and occasionally help out with production elements. But that's a show that focuses on various aspects of Mormon history, uh, whether that be uh, race, whether that be even singleness. We did a live episode uh, where we had a studio audience, if you will, where we talked about the history of being single in the LDS church. And, and so it's just a variety of elements of, of church history and culture and the different narratives that we've come across in, in the study of Mormon history. Hmm, that sounds interesting. I know uh, that uh, you were suggested to me by a man by the name of Steve Densley, who's the vice president of Fair Mormon. I wonder if it's possible that you were sent here to uh, examine my show, to see if I'm messing up, to see if we could possibly uh, deshambalize my uh, poor efforts. Is is that the case here? Well, I, I don't know. Deshambalize? That's too big a word for me. That's, <laughs> that's too too many syllables. No, I, I hope to say something of of worth uh, to those, you know, that need greater strength in their paths of discipleship. But I'm sure going to be testing your your previous uh, warning about uh, saying things that may or may not reflect the opinions of church or fair. I don't, uh, I don't know how we're going to work that in, but uh, I hope to be able to offer some good, faithful opinions that, that hopefully will help people. Um, I don't think it's any reflection on your, your hosting abilities. Oh, I, I appreciate that. So uh, what you maybe could do is offer fresh perspectives to my otherwise dull and good old boy Ned style of presenting gospel doctrine, principles, and concepts. Is that what you're saying? 
your honor, please I, uh, direct uh, direct the witness to answer this question, please. Uh, um, I I would like to assert my Fifth Amendment uh, protections. <laughs> okay. <laughs> under advice of counsel. Now, under advice of counsel. There you go. As a matter of fact, I've listened to uh, some of your work. I really like old time radio because I was raised with that in Southern California as a kid. I loved uh, radio mystery theater, and I remember uh, you remember the comedian Bill Cosby. Oh, absolutely. Oh, Seen yeah. him a couple times. Oh, really? Good. Yeah. He, he, he talked about when he was a kid, he listened to old-time radio like, lights out. You know, he was, he was dumb enough to do whatever the guy on the radio told him to do. <laughs> Turn your lights out. Yeah, yeah, they're out. Go ahead. Scare me. I'm ready. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love those old shows. And uh, I know I listened to one on yours that was called The Bickersons. Yes, one of the one of the things that I did a while back was under my company's name Radio Gold Productions. We produced a bunch of we reproduced a bunch of old radio shows live uh, here in Salt Lake City area, and one of those shows was the Bickersons. It's uh, it's kind of a fun one. Yeah, that was fun. Good. Well, I tell you what, let's uh, let's get on to the subject. And today's subject is, as I promised in the past, doctrine, folklore, and superstition. There's people that have ideas about the gospel, and it's because it's a cultural icon or it's a faith-promoting story. They just believe it as official doctrine. I understand that uh, you wrote a book about uh, sacrament, about taking the sacrament with your right hand. Is that right? Well, that's not what the whole book was about, but it, it was called Tree of Sacrament, and it kind of was born of a personal study that I had relating to what I saw is correlations between the Tree of Life vision that Lehi had uh-huh. and, other, and other experiences of the Tree of Life and how it related to the sacrament. And what, as I did study on that correlation, I did study on the sacrament in general. And one of the things that I came across was a quote uh, from Joseph Fielding Smith about the uh, idea that taking the sacrament with your right hand was part of the covenant, of, of re- covenant renewal, hmm. of taking the sacrament. And, and the reasoning of that was? Well, that uh, historically, the use of the right hand was used in, in lots of different covenant ceremonies. And, you know, we raise our hand to the square to sustain people. And, and there's other things that happen uh, in temple ceremonies that happen with the right hand, other priesthood ordinances and things like that. And he felt that it was just kind of along those same lines that people should partake of the sacrament by using their right hand to lift the cup or, or eat the bread. And what do you do if you don't have a right hand? Exactly. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I guess you just don't get to take it. No, yeah. That's it. Just, You're out. You're done. You just get to use your lips or something. I don't uh, know. Okay. Like a trough. <laughs> well, how about, uh, how about the Articles of Faith? Do you think they are official doctrine? Yes. I do, too. As a matter of fact, in sacrament meeting today, the youth speaker talked about uh, the Articles of Faith. And... Uh, I think that is church doctrine. Now, I think one of the church doctrines that especially evangelicals don't like and fundamentalists is the uh, the doctrine that says, we believe that the Lord will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Yeah. Do you believe that? Oh, I do, absolutely. I believe the article of faith number nine, absolutely. Number nine, that's right. I've got to get my numbers right, okay. <laughs> And the Bible is the Word of God, and that's it. 
that that is a common Christian view. Yes. Do you believe that? I believe an expanded version of that. <laughs> oh, you're, are, are you planning to run for office? That was a good political <laughs> answer. Well, I, I try. There we go. Good. Okay, how about uh, the 13 Articles of Faith? When, a lot of people think that 13 is an unlucky number. Well, are, do you have any superstitions like that? You know, I, I, I don't know that I do. I, I try and avoid some of those things that I would throw into the realm of irrational. Okay. Do you happen to know the history of uh, the Knights Templar and Friday the 13th? You know, Knights Templar sounds like a video game or a comic book to me. I have have no idea. Maybe you can enlighten me on on what that is. Okay, back in uh, 1307, there was a group of uh, Christian knights that were part of the Catholic Church that actually protected pilgrims on their way to the Holy Land, and they were called the Knights Templar or Knights of the Temple. And they were kind of a um, monastic organization that were real warriors. And they were actually had their own banking system where if you got a, an authorized note from uh, the Knights Templar in England or France somewhere, if you could take that and you went to Jerusalem instead of having to carry all your money and you presented it to the Knights Templars there, they would actually give you the money. And so they had accumulated quite an internal banking system and they had a lot of wealth. And uh, during that time, on Friday the 13th, the uh, Pope, the King of France, got together and said, we got to take over these guys. This is the end of them. So they arrested all of them, and Jacques de Molay, who was the head of the Knights Templar, was uh, put up on trial for heresy and all kinds of stuff, and they disbanded the group and... uh, murdered a bunch of Knights Templars, and so that Friday the 13th was considered a, a dark day. And probably in maybe the 17th, 18th century, that became an important thing of, it's a bad day. It's it's bad luck if you're on that Friday the 13th because uh, terrible things could happen for some reason. So, hmm. so Well, and, there you go. There now you I go. learned something. There you go. And when someone says it's not the money... It's the money. It is the money. It's the money. That's right. It's good. (laughs) That's right. So uh, how do we decide what is true doctrine and what is false doctrine? That's a a really loaded question. Um, I I, I mean, I've got my thoughts on it. How how, how much time do you have? Well, I got as much time (laughs) as it takes for you to give a correct answer. Oh, you're, oh that, see, now you're running for office. That's right. Your Honor, I'm not badgering the witness here. I just want the truth. <laughs> well, I, I, I will say this. When, when I hear people talking about what is doctrine, I think of a lot of things. And sometimes I think, why are they asking? Is this because they're trying to rationalize away something that they think isn't a doctrine? Are they genuine in wanting to know what a true doctrine is? I mean, those are some of the questions that pop into my head, because to me, when you ask that question, what is a doctrine of the LDS Church, uh, sometimes the, the motivation changes how I'd respond to that. But given the audience, I, I would start by saying this. The doctrine of the Church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Book of Mormon and, and other sources, both ancient and modern, have declared that the doctrine of Christ is that Jesus Christ is our Savior— that he died and was resurrected, paving our way to eternal life. Uh, it's, it's as Joseph Smith taught. that He said the fundamental principles 
of our religion are the testimony of the apostles and prophets concerning Jesus Christ, that he died, was buried, and rose again on the third day, and ascended into heaven. And all other things which pertain to our religion are only appendages to it. Now, the way I interpret that, uh, using the following kind of symbolism and metaphor, I, I would say that there's like a tree of doctrine, and the trunk and root system of that tree is the atonement. All other teachings are cons- that are considered doctrine are appendages to that core or central doctrine. So if Jesus taught by your fruits, you shall know them, the fruits of a teaching, if it relates back to and supports and sustains the teachings of true atonement, then I would say that that is a doctrine. If it does not, then I would consider that something else, something like a precept or a tradition, maybe even an interpretation of value, Hmm. but not doctrine. Wow, that's really good. Did you think about this ahead of time? It sounds like you did. <laughs> you know, I think about doctrine a lot, actually, and, and perhaps I'm a bit of a nerd like that, but I, I do think about that a lot. And there's a lot of discussion out there right now with a lot of people trying to figure out what is doctrine, what's practice, and those sorts of things. So it's, it's actually something that's been on my mind for a little bit. Good. I, I think there's a eternal truth, doctrine, policy, uh, cultural standards, and then the book of Ned. You know, <laughs> which which is fun, but, uh, which is fun, but 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 not uh, binding on upon anyone. <laughs> Maybe it's binding upon Ned. I heard from someone one time is about uh, personal commandments. There's the things that the Lord wants you to do specifically. Maybe not for the next guy, but just for you. That is that's important that the Lord wants you to accomplish. Absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah, good. You know, sometimes I get suspicious when others agree with my point of view on the gospel here. Uh, <laughs> now, are, are you just patronizing me or, or, or do you want something? You know, no, no. I, I've, I've been told I should always agree with a crazy person. <laughs> no, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people aren't out to get you. That's true. That's right. And if you're paranoid delusional, doesn't mean bizarre, terrible things aren't going to happen. That's true. That's right. Well, I agree. That's good. Hmm. You know, it's possible that having someone to bounce ideas off of could be a good uh, could be a good foil for me to actually improve my thinking and my uh, skills as a uh, podcaster. Never know. You never know. Well, how about uh, I was thinking, uh, what if we offered our listeners a chance to ask questions about things they'd like a, that addressed on podcast, and then we responded with appropriate guests. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I think we could even take some questions off the Fair Mormon Support Board. We can take some direct questions sent into the show. I, I would even be willing to do a whole episode reading letters of praise for the podcast. Uh, you know, whatever. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, absolutely. Questions are, are good to address. Yeah, I think that sometimes we uh, we only hear when we mess up about something. We don't hear That's, when we do something good. Well, bring it on. Yeah, there we go. Okay. You know, I think there's a lot of things that uh, evangelicals specifically talk about and that Mormons are very rigid and structured in their theology. You have to do A, B, C in order to be saved. And I think there's some people in the church that have kind of that institutionalized view that because we lived in an institutionalized world, there's the the company, there's the government, there's the military, there's the Department of Motor Vehicles, there's the church. And they all have organization, and they all have structure, and you have to do all these things in order to be considered good within that structure. And uh, 
I think people can become so institutionalized by that that the organization becomes their god. And by what they say and do, they wind up worshiping the structure instead of he who created them. Do you see any of that in the church, or am I just uh, way out in left field somewhere? No, of, of course that that happens in different ways. And the, the I think the birth of things like that is the fact that we read that God is a God of order, that he created a house of order, and that there are certain... Uh, let's call them ordinances that uh, lead us to salvation and exaltation. And so there are certain aspects of, of discipleship that do have a sense of order. However, as with anything, I suppose, you can take that beyond the mark. You can take that to a degree where you are worshiping the process. You're worshiping a false idol in some respects, because regardless of all these things, it's still Heavenly Father and, and Jesus Christ who are the ones that are our example and judge, and will be essentially part of the decision-making process regarding our exaltation. So um, I, I think that there is some goodness in order. I think there is some true doctrine, if you will, in, in order. But I don't know that there is room for taking that to the extreme. Yeah, we, we need order and we need structure, but we shouldn't make the process our worship, the focus of our worship. Agreed. Yeah, okay. Good. Well, now, uh, what about the ban on Coke and Pepsi? Is that <laughs> is that doctrine, folklore, or just a cultural practice? Now, when you say a cultural practice, meaning not taking it or taking it? Not taking it. Okay. Well, you know, I I, I guess I could, I could give you a, a snide remark about how we have far more important things to worry about than, than the, the topic of Coke and Pepsi, but... I would I would be willing to say it in a serious answer on something like this um, that we need to look to the word of wisdom, which of course is what this relates to. And in DNC eighty nine, we find the the text stating that the word of wisdom is quote a principle with promise adapted to the weak and the weakest of all saints who are or can be called saints. End quote. So to me, that means that the Lord is understanding that there's flexibility built into the word of wisdom. Well, why? The answer is still found in the text itself. The promises of keeping the word of wisdom are compared to the destroying angel with the Passover being able to pass you by as if they were the children of Israel in, in ancient times. Part of that connection is the idea that when the children of Israel followed what the prophet taught, they were blessed and protected. That became an outward sign that they followed the prophet, this idea that they would paint, you know, lamb's blood over the doorframe. And then maybe there were people at the time that thought that was really weird. Uh, maybe there are people today that thought that was really weird. But nevertheless, that's what was asked of them to do. And as they kept it, they received protection and blessings. Now, the word of wisdom is part of that outward expression of our covenant relationship with the Lord. It acts as kind of a spiritual barometer, so when people talk about the whole Coke and Pepsi thing, and it, maybe since they didn't you know, sponsor the podcast, we, may, we shouldn't mention the actual brand name here. Uh, but I, I can't help but think, you know, people take, you know, follow the word of wisdom in a certain spirit and a certain level at where they're at in life. And according to the word of wisdom itself, it's adapted to the weakest. Um, so I think that there are people that are in a position where they believe and know that uh, – Drinking a cola drink or not drinking a cola drink is a justifiable sign that they're willing to follow the prophets and the apostles. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I believe that they're fulfilling to the best of their ability 
the promises they see in the word of wisdom, and that they will receive blessings as a result. However, I feel that the church has said that the word of wisdom doesn't address the use of things like caffeine because it is adaptable to the weakest of the saints. So that's a tough one to lock down as far as a doctrine goes because people are very much at a different place in their lives, and we 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 need to be a little flexible, as as you spoke about in your last podcast. We need to be a little flexible to understanding that there is a principle with a promise, and uh, as people choose to live up to that, they will receive the blessings of it. Good. Well, that was a great answer. I like that. Wow. Thank you. Good. <laughs> so, uh, doctrine, folklore, and the superstition. I think th- this is a. Uh... This has been fun, at least for me. Did uh, did you have a good time? Ah, absolutely. There's really so much to talk about. Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, I was going to open up some time for you for something that you thought was important. So tell us what you think is important. Important about doctrine? Yes. I th- I actually came across a quote that was shared with me by a friend, and, and he will go uh, nameless at this point, but... It, it really struck me because we often talk about people that are struggling with their faith, um, struggling with activity in the church or however you wish to deem it. And this is actually a quote that came from Elder Neil A. Maxwell. And it talks about people that murmur about the gospel. Well, and I think it's an interesting commentary back to this, this topic of, of doctrine. He says, in a happy day ahead... They that murmured shall learn doctrine. This suggests that doctrinal illiteracy is a significant cause of murmuring among church members. That's a good point. And I, and I got to thinking about how much we see in the world of people that uh, hold fault with either you know past leaders of the church or past traditions, past policies, things like that, and and it becomes a point of murmuring. It becomes a point where people begin to complain. And I think that part of the blessing of having a core true doctrine centered on the atonement and relating to the atonement, then we will be able to reduce the amount of murmuring that that goes on. And this this focus back on what is central and core doctrines of the church, the, the atonement of Jesus Christ, and things that help us learn about the atonement will cause us as a people to come together, will strengthen our faith, and there will be a lot less murmuring, especially on the Internet. Wow. That was well said. I like that. <laughs> Thanks, Ken. No, it was good. You know, I would like to close up with a—I'm uh, glad we had this podcast right now because just a couple of days ago there was an article that came out uh, in the Salt Lake Tribune newspaper where those who may not live in the Salt Lake Corridor realize that there's two newspapers— the Deseret, the Deseret News, and that other paper. That other paper. That's right. Gentile paper. The Gentile paper. It says LDS leader tells Mormons to embrace their history and keep their faith. And here's a quote by um, Dieter Utdorf. He says, "Truth and transparency complement each other. We always need to remember that transparency and openness keep us clear of the negative side effects of secrecy." or the cliché of faith-promoting rumors. That's nice. Yeah, that was. I think that was really good. I think there's a lot of faith-promoting rumors that people think are doctrine when they're really not, and they find out the truth about it, they become shaken. 
Absolutely. So I think that uh, him promoting the idea of transparency and openness uh, is great. Agreed. Well, I, I tell you what, I think I'm about ready to close up shop because my, my, my voice, which is uh, challenged at most, is starting to die on me. <laughs> All right. Okay, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start uh, closing up here. Any last comments? Uh, at this point, no. I think we we did a pretty good job introducing the topic. I want to encourage people to write their questions in to the show. And, and uh, how, how about how do they go about doing that? Well, as a matter of fact, they can go to uh, a Fair Mormon, and then they go to the spot that says Questions and Support. They click on that icon, and it'll take them to the point where they can actually go and uh, ask a question. And and if they if they can't find it. Uh, when they listen to this podcast, if they do, they can write a little comment uh, about this podcast, and uh, we can give them a direct uh, access link to it. Awesome. Yeah, so that's good. So, Officer of the Watch, post the Navy hymn sung by Sandra Schmidt, Bonnie Skarsbrick, Steve Hatch, and David Reese. Eternal Father, strong to save. <laughs>